Hello, welcome to Demand Gen Chat. I'm very excited to be kicking off season three of the podcast. Before we get started, you've probably noticed that I'm not Kaylee. My name is Tara Robertson, and I'm the Senior Manager of Demand Gen at Chili Piper. So for many of you, she needs no introduction. But if you're new to the show, Kaylee is the Director of Demand Gen at Brightwheel. She's also the mom to two adorable little ones and a brilliant marketer. So Kaylee, why don't you tell us a little bit about your new role and the op that took you away from Chili Piper? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hi. Welcome. It's so nice to be back um, in this space chatting with you. Um, yeah, a little bit about Brightwheel. So I had an opportunity to lead up a demand gen function over at Brightwheel and do some of the very similar work that drew me to Chili Piper. Um, Brightwheel, for those of you who have maybe never heard of it, is an early education software that helps with um, childcare management for Montessori schools, preschools, anything um, pre-kindergarten. And as Tara alluded to, I have two young girls, so that's very much so um, a place that's near and dear to my heart on a personal level, just with where we're at with our family right now. And then, of course, the opportunity to build a demand gen function from the ground up is is truly a passion of mine that I love. Um, so, yeah, Tara and I had the opportunity to work together at Chili Piper, and I'm really excited to be passing the reins back to you. We're so happy to have you back. I'm so glad you agreed to come back <laughs> for this kind of transition episode. Um, so as Kelly mentioned, I joined her team, um, the marketing team at Chili Piper around eight months ago. And before this, I had around 10 years of experience at all different types of startups, but all in the SaaS space. So I was fa a fairly early marketing hire at both Uberflip and Top Hat. So both of those are based in Toronto. So very familiar with obviously MarTech and the content marketing space. So Chili Piper was just a brand that I was really excited to come join. And Kaylee kind of made the case to join her team. So couldn't say no. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so I'm really excited to be taking the reins. Kaylee did an awesome job last season, as all of you know, so really excited to just kind of keep it going and hopefully this season looking to dive a little bit deeper and have some more tactical takeaways for our audience to take back to their teams. So I thought the best way to handle this episode would be to chat about last season. Um, I know we got a ton of great feedback on last season and you as a host, so why don't we start with just a couple of your favorite episodes? And I know we have a couple of them in common too, so... One that we both really liked was Ben's episode. So Ben from ChartHop joined. Do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about what you like? Yeah, absolutely. So just on a personal note, I think Ben is top, like best in class, one of the best in class mm -hmm. demand gen marketers that I've ever had the opportunity to network with and really get to know on a personal level. Um, he and I had started just like a very casual, like pinging back and forth after he had um, followed up from the sauce, which is a, a monthly newsletter that we send out at Chili Piper. Um, and he just loved the content and it sparked this really natural um, relationship between the two of us. We're just like very entertained by trying to question the status quo. <laughs> so it seemed natural to bring him on. Um, and of course he followed in those footsteps and delivered some pretty spicy takes on how they're interpreting demand gen over at chart hop. I think the, one of maybe the most interesting concepts that he had posed that was very different from, um, things that we were doing at the time at Chili Piper was this a concept of an MQL purgatory where he, had outlined two um, two different MQL paths, um, one being an implicit path and the other being explicit. Um, obviously, it was very I made it very public uh, during my time at Chili Piper that I had kind of abolished the the concept of lead scoring. So implicit MQLs were not a thing for us. Um, but he was very much so passionate about it, and it's, it was really interesting to hear his take on how they're operationalizing that and why he felt very passionate that 
MQLs and MQL purgatory and getting stuck there is definitely not where you need to be, but operationalizing the concept of an explicit hand raiser versus those that aren't yet ready for a demo um, and just how that was working for their business and down funnel metrics. Yeah, I related a ton to when you called it purgatory and a couple of my past roles, we would spend just hours as a demand gen or marketing team in a room talking about lead scoring and how we would score different people that downloaded different ebooks or people that attended a webinar. And then I would chat with sales later on and they just did not care at all. So exactly. I thought it was a really good take. And I think something that's even more interesting is that it seems like every company is is really on board with the concept of testing and like optimizing through some type of like mm-hmm. A-B test or even like an MBT or whatever that whatever it is that they're trying to put in front of them. And with lead scoring, there are so many variables that go into it. How do you ever really feel like to your point about going around the room a million times on like, well, how much scoring or weighting should this activity get or these series of activities? It, there are so many variables that go into it that I really feel like it would take, I don't know, a large volume, like high quantity to be able to even get to a place where your lead scoring model is statistically significant on all fronts. Right. I think, I mean, that's the case across a lot of different tests that marketers do is we just say, it's a test, we'll figure it out later. But if you do that over and over, especially for something like a lead score, you're never going to get anywhere because you're constantly changing it. So you're never going to have results that are significant. Exactly. Exactly. And I I think, yeah, his his entire take, if anybody that's listening to this episode hasn't listened to Ben's episode, I'd highly recommend Mm -hmm. um, going back and listening when Tara was asking for some of my like top takeaways. Um, Ben's was the first that came to mind. So um, the entire episode is really good. He drops a lot of knowledge just outside of MQL purgatory as well. Um, And Charthop is doing some status quo questioning activities, which are good. Another episode that I really enjoyed, and I know you did too, was I think it was the last one of the season. You interviewed Julia from Toast. Yeah. She is just such a smart marketer. I really loved hearing from her. Yeah, it's so interesting. So obviously Toast had a huge year last year mm-hmm. um, and they IPO'd at um, a, a crazy value. It was a really, really um, successful year for them in terms of growth and being able to provide um, more insights and more resources for their customer base. Um, Julia, interestingly enough, has been at Toast through so much growth Um maybe to try and quote off the fly, I believe she's been there for six years. Um, And in the world of SaaS, six years is like 16 years at least. Um, So she has seen Toast through so many stages of growth. And I think that um, one of the main reasons I wanted to have her on is because Toast envisions the growth marketing role very differently than the traditional like demand gen function um, in that she is almost like a like an operating hub that sits outside of marketing and can really move as a nimble team across the funnel to work on really specific initiatives for optimization, which I thought was a really cool concept. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is just due to her being there for so long, because it's to your point, it's so rare to have a marketer stay anywhere for six years. So once you have that credibility, I feel like you can start to come up with creative ideas like that, where people will, they'll just take your word for it, that you'll figure things out and you can build this team that might not have clear goals that you deliver on today, but you will have something to show for it at the end of the day. And it's tough to build that credibility when everyone bounces around every couple of years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think tenure probably has a lot to do with it, but also just like the mindset. I think it also just might be like an individual skill that she holds to some degree Mm. too. Um, The mindset that she takes to not only like the marketing function, but honestly, the entire uh, growth at Toast as a business is really interesting. Um, She's, and I think that her 
her case around being separate and having separate KPIs and initiatives from the marketing team really provides them that flexibility to dive deep on one specific area of the business and make a true impact that can be measured without feeling like I'm sure we all feel at most points in our day, really torn between priorities, right? Um, and I think it allows them to go deep fast so that they can really make an impact that is measurable and is statistically significant because obviously Toast has enough traffic and velocity be, to be able to prove things out um, and then move on to the next test, um, which is like obviously just not always how startups are structured. Like naturally resources are pretty <laughs> slim in the early days, but um I know that she started with a really small team and has really proven out that motion and her team is continuing to grow, which just means that they're they're getting the results they expect, which is awesome to see. Right. I also really liked how she spoke about, I mean, a lot of industries during COVID would just kind of put things on pause and figure it out later. But she was very much like, we need to support our customers now. They need us now. Um, Toast was supporting the restaurant industry, obviously. So it was a really tough time for them. So rolling out new tools, she even mentioned Chili Piper specifically, but Instead of waiting and piloting things, they were just moving on it to support not just the customers, but the sales team too, because they knew that they had a tough couple quarters ahead. And I think that was super smart versus a lot of other people I've talked to who are just kind of very cautious, dipping their toes in things, pausing a lot of programs. I think there's something to be said for that too, because it uh, obviously COVID impacted several industries. And um, yeah, there's something to be said for like being able to use that time really in a, in a really wise way to really lean in and support. Mm -hmm. All that does, in, obviously, in the grand scheme is build trust and credibility with your existing customer base who will then naturally, especially in the restaurant business, go and tell their restaurant friends, hey, this is what we're using. Um, so it's a really impactful flywheel for more substantial growth, ironically enough. Right. And she talked a lot about it also being the time to focus on community, which mm -hmm. I think is just a natural fit for the restaurant industry too. But it's interesting to focus on building out community in a time when I'm sure internally they were struggling to hit numbers and they just knew they had to focus long term and not go for the short term wins. So I know you had mentioned um, just having that growth motion, not just for enterprise, but all types of sizes of companies. So you mentioned that it's easy enough for a brand like Toast when they have a ton of users and they can get that statistically significant traffic to their site. How do you think we could learn from someone like Julia? Yeah, I still think that like even though a growth motion is very much so like your website is a huge lever, right? Um, and mm. I think if growth is sitting like within marketing, your your scope that you're you know thinking about in terms of like growth and optimization levers is pretty small, just like it's very narrowed into like acquisition only. Um, whereas if you can validate the right, like validate with your right stakeholders early on to hire one person that's like maybe mid-level to senior level, um, that can really just stand up small versions of a test. Like for instance, obviously this is like mm -hmm. really speaks to Chili Piper too, but, um, it's like, you know, main levers could be something like one, obviously getting and growing traffic to the website could be an area that they look at. But even like website to MQL conversion or form fill or whatever we're calling it these days. But even outside of that, right, MQL to SQL, which is exactly where Chili Piper plays, like there, there isn't always enough time in the day for a demand gen team or a marketing team to come in and really operationalize all of those areas of the business that touch so many stakeholders. So I think Julia had mentioned mm -hmm. this in her episode too, that it's like the sooner you can start a growth motion, even if it's one person, the more that flywheel takes off over time. And so it's like, I guess I look at 
holistically how CMOs or even CEOs prioritize like their first few hires um, and thinking about like what those first few hires really should be for your business. It makes a lot of sense to me to try and make sure one of those top five to 10 marketers is a dedicated growth marketer that sits outside of the regular marketing department so that they're hired in as like special projects. And that is what they do. And they're not distracted by the day-to-day mm-hmm. priorities that the marketing team has to do to keep the business afloat. Yeah. It's so easy for a role like demand generation, which is everything right now, yeah. instead of just, instead of focusing on growth or a very specific KPI. Yeah. It's, we have a new case study we need to get eyes on. We have a new podcast we need to promote. We have a newsletter going out tomorrow. And so to have it separate from the team makes a ton of sense if you can carve out the resources for that. Yeah, agree, agree. And I think too, it's, it's just like, it's all about making the case and understanding like, how can you build that case today around your specific use case, right? Like, hey, our business today is really struggling with web traffic to MQL. It's like, okay, cool. Let's get in a dedicated person to really own this project um, and see it through to fruition, like you said, without getting like pulled away to focus on like the day-to-day must-haves. Yeah. And you have to start the role that way or else you're kind of already in it. Right. I mean, you know how oh, it exactly. is when you're the first demand gen hire. You're all of a sudden you own email, you own paid, you own everything. So if you start the role saying this is their focus, let them do that. Prove out that that role works and maybe you hire someone else to focus further down the funnel or even more top of funnel to figure out what that conversion rate could be. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's going to look different at every business, right? So like to provide like maybe a little bit more color just outside of Toast, I know that um, Udi Lettergore, the CMO over at Gong, had done an interview at some point last year or maybe earlier the year before. All of the periods we've been stuck at home for COVID kind of run together. But (laughs) but he talked in detail um, about how he went about building his team. And he had actually at one point pretty early on in their growth over at Gong hired a dedicated person to focus specifically on building the brand and category creation. Um, And that was her role. Mm -hmm. She sat like basically entirely separate. She reported up to him, but she was her own dedicated pillar within the marketing org. And that's all she was focused on. And in his interview, he said exactly that. The reason he hired her Hmm. and kept her as like a separate dedicated function is so that she could focus on something he knew was going to be critically important to building the brand at Gong um, and not get pulled away into like the day-to-day, gotta do it, hamster wheel type of tasks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously worked out really well for them. Their brand is amazing and everyone knows it. So she's doing a great job. Um, But I could see if you just hired a more generalist brand marketer, she would be editing copy on emails or taking a second look at ads before they go. It's so easy to get pulled into those day-to-day tasks. So that's a really interesting structure. And then one episode that I know we both also really liked was Jason and Mark from Metadata. I mean, I think we both like everything that those guys work on, but it was just a really fun conversation, especially hearing just Jason talk about the interview process when he was bringing Mark on from the cab. But I know the highlight for me was really all around just storytelling and focusing on how they wanted to put that strategic narrative together. Yeah, I think so too. And I think the the really like actionable piece, especially from that conversation that I mm-hmm. took from them was how Mark went about like breaking down this like fourth wall almost. Um, Mm -hmm. to get to a place where their website really meant something to the customer base that they were trying to get in front of. Um, So often in marketing and especially 
marketing where you're marketing to marketers, it's really easy to get into this jargon heavy situation mm -hmm. where you think what you're saying makes total sense. But in reality, you're so muddied by being in the business. You have obviously internal conversations with your teammates through Slack, with customer success, with whoever, where you're unknowingly creating your own jargon and your own dialogue that makes total sense to you because you're in that business every day. You take that copy and you put it on your website and your prospects and customers are like, what is this? <laughs> what are you actually saying? These words mm -hmm. like, you know, these words don't resonate with me. I don't know what you're saying. And so the way that Mark went about it, it was so like, I don't know, it seems so obvious, but in hindsight, I've just never seen a website built this way. Draft copy in a Word doc, share the Word doc with members on the cab, get direct feedback from them, ways they would say it differently. Does this mean something to you? Tell me in a comment in this doc what this means to you. Um, how can we make this clearer, et cetera? And then takes all that feedback directly and puts into the doc, shares out a final draft, like boom, that's website creation. And were you on their cab through that process or did you join the cab after that? Process? I actually joined the cab after that process, but Mark mm -hmm. and I had already started just chatting and networking on LinkedIn. And he was like, hey, we're working on some stuff for our new website. Like, I'd love for you to review this doc. And the way that he went about it is like hmm. he had a master doc. He cloned a new doc for, you know, the maybe 10 people that he circulated it to so that I had my own like working draft and I wasn't like my thoughts weren't being like muddied by me reading others' comments, right? And so like- That's then smart. I could see it very easily just saying, oh, I agree with what this person said. Right. Or, right. And I don't so like this like, part because they didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So he like purposefully, purposefully siloed us into our own document so that we were like, yeah, not confused or like distracted by others' initial thoughts and could provide like our own actual um, thought process or like, hey, I need clarification. This doesn't mean anything to me all those things. Um, and then compiled and did one more draft just to be like, here's all the feedback. This is what it looks like now. One more round. Um, and he didn't do that for every page on the website to be also clear that this is not a crazy lift. <laughs> that would be a it big like, task for everyone. <laughs> right. Hey, right. can you review every page on our website? Yeah, probably. Yeah, just 100 pages. <laughs> probably not. But he did do it for <laughs> top, like high priority, most traffic pages. Mm -hmm. um, which I think was really helpful. And right. this was also as their brand and their strategic narrative was evolving. Um, their website was also getting a facelift at that time. So it was like all the things, but obviously the copy was key. Um, their website hadn't been updated in a year or so, or maybe two years before he started doing this exercise. And it was just a really practical way to go about building a website that mm -hmm. you know is actually gonna resonate with your prospects. Yeah, I really loved how Mark said, I think his exact words were that messaging is a moving target. And that really resonated with me because I think it's so easy to say, hey, we asked the cab, this resonated, and now we're going to stick with this forever. And people's pain points do change over time. They find new tools to fill gaps that maybe weren't in the market six months ago, and now they are. So their pain point could be, now I have too many tools and I need help figuring yeah. out how to use them all together. Just from their conversation, there's a ton you can learn from taking that time out. So... That's yeah, a, a no, really I think there is. I think there is. And it's like not a, like uh, your your messaging is a moving target because obviously the, the market is changing. But also I think that their product is evolving, right? Like the product, like mm -hmm. when he and I and Jason chatted, I don't know, maybe that was like six months ago, maybe more. I feel like the product itself they were trying to market to the to, to their prospects was drastically different than the product that they're marketing today, because obviously it's making evolutions. And so I think 
all of those things kind of move <laughs> like a puzzle piece in tandem. Um, and yeah, I think that almost every marketing department you chat with is like, oh, we're redoing our website. And it's like, course, I think there's yeah. something you said for like, <laughs> we're redoing our website, which normally means like six months of like no progress. You're doing all this stuff behind the scenes. You're not publishing anything versus like publishing and iterating small pieces of your website over time to actually like mm -hmm. get that market feedback front hand, like firsthand so that you can understand if it's actually resonating. There's nothing worse than like going behind the scenes, spending six months, heads down, everybody's in like fire mode, creating this website mm -hmm. and then you publish it and it's a total flop, right? We've definitely seen that happen a lot in the space last year, tons of that happening where it's like, wow, mm -hmm. okay, so like, did this really impact our business in a good way or did it not? And I think the more impactful way to go about that is like something similar to this process that these guys did um, where you're like iterating over like short stints of time. Like what can we do today on the homepage? What can we do in the next three weeks on the homepage? Okay, let's go, let's do the work, let's publish it. That way, if it's really not working, you haven't wasted six months of your time trying to redo the entire website for nothing. There's a lot that you can take away from the way that um, the metadata team just kept it pretty simple. Like you said, it was just a Google doc and they worked from there versus hiring some flash, flashy agency to come help them take it to the next level, which could go either way, honestly. Exactly, exactly. And like in transparency, at the time when they were doing this, they were a two-person team, right? Like that that <laughs> was the marketing team. It's just Mark and Jason. Um, and they did have a, a brand agency that they worked with because I don't think either of them are natural born designers. Maybe they are. They'll come for me after this. But um, they did have an agency that they worked with, but like by no means like that person wasn't doing any of the strategic narrative work that they were actually leading. So mm -hmm. to also be able to to break down the barriers and and create really fast and efficient work streams to get that level of work done between two people while also maintaining the day-to-day -day newsletters, webinars, like all of those other things that they were also very much doing at the same time, to me, just like speaks to the volumes of like efficiency. Mm-hmm. And they did talk about how in some ways that's easier with only two people because there's less process. So I'm really curious now that their team is growing, if they've been able to stick to that or if they find themselves kind of yeah. stuck in a little bit of a growth phase or that'd be interesting to hear from them again, because I know they were very happy with, I mean, it's, they were busy, but happy <laughs> with the two of them. So they were really cautious about adding a lot of red tape and process. Yeah, no, and I hear that too. I'd love to hear a follow-up from them. I think at this point, they've mm -hmm. at least doubled in size on their marketing headcount, if not a little bit more than that. It um, must be because I keep seeing people on LinkedIn popping up in my feed. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and, and they've made some really great hires too for whatever that's worth. But I'm um, just, yeah, understanding like overall process and how they've kept like the efficiency of their cycle time. Like, is it faster? Mm -hmm. Is it better? Like, how has it changed? I think would be really interesting to hear because it's like the lessons that you can learn about scale as a two-person team or a four-person team are also very similar red threads that you can still learn if you're a 30, 40, 50-person size marketing team. Right, exactly. And they're still putting out so much great content, so it's clearly not slowing them down, but I'm sure there's things they would improve on as they grow, so. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You should see if they'll come back around for round two. I'll try. <laughs> I'll definitely try to talk to them at some point. That would be great. I think too, like another thing about them that I think they are doing really well that we could definitely chat about and just like understand the overall impact of is obviously they stood up a cab very early on. Mm -hmm. There, Some members of their cab were part of this website process, but even outside of that, the way that they are 
leveraging a cab is just not like anything I have personally seen before. Um, and especially have not seen that early on for a company to start, you know, when the company itself was the size that it was. Um, I think they were less than 100 employees when they started a cab. Um, and, you know, it started out pretty small, like five or 10 members, then of course grew over time as they invited more people into their customer advisory board. Um, but meeting monthly with C-suite, all like senior level executives for every division of the business. So like marketing, sales, um, customer support, product. And then of course, like um, C-suite as well. So CEO and everyone was on there too. Um, were the really small- And that's still monthly? Mm-hmm, monthly. Um, wow, with a pretty intimate group of people. So like mm-hmm. pure benefits, like outward facing are that like, wow, I want to be a part of this because these are some of the best demand gen leaders in the space today. And to get an hour with them a month to be able to learn is incredible. And just hear what they're doing, what's working, what's not working. Like selfishly as a marketer, I would love that. So of course, if you know people are given the opportunity to join, that's a huge draw. Um, but also mm-hmm. being able to give direct product feedback into their product roadmap on what you would really love to see versus, you know, maybe features or tools that they've rolled out in the past that you don't get a ton of value from. And just talking through like, this is how I'm using it. This is what's working. I don't understand how to use this. What can I do for it? Um, It's super, super valuable. And like from that, of course, Mark and Jason are listening in and hearing pain points for their prospect base, like current things Mm -hmm. they could solve for, ways to phrase things that their direct prospect base is using. Like, Um, getting away from some of the jargon that they think makes sense, but doesn't. And I think that very much speaks to this flywheel effect of like um, the market is shifting. People may be coming up with like new ways of talking about things or explaining things. And they're getting a monthly check-in ear to the ground with their customer base, which is also talking and thinking much like their prospect base to be able to take that and implement it into their marketing materials. It's so interesting that they had a cab so early on because Jason had a comment about not wanting to spend some of their budget on ads to customers, but they're clearly very happy spending the time and resources with customers. So I think that's a smart way to go about it because to your point, it ends up powering a lot of their messaging on the prospect side too. Yeah, I think so. I just think it's like this really interesting um, cyclical loop that not Mm -hmm. a lot of companies like latch onto that early. Yeah, we'll definitely share those episodes out in the recap post for this so everyone can catch up on those three. All three have a ton of great takeaways, so worth listening to them in full. I know we're coming up on time here, so I definitely just want to say thanks again, Kaylee, for joining us. I know you put a lot of time and energy into the last season and everyone really appreciated the great conversations you had and just also just for being an awesome boss and human. Just you're great. Okay, you're here to to have you here. Man, what an emotional send off. What an emotional (laughs) send off. Don't do this to me. Look, for whatever it's worth, um, yeah, obviously I hired Tara on in early days of Rich Chili Piper. Um, And I mean, just phenomenal hire. Tara is um, one of the best and brightest demand marketers I've ever had the opportunity to work with. So it's like so bittersweet um, to not be like, in an office with you every day doing the grind and working on projects, but obviously full support. And I'm so excited that you're taking the reins to take this on for season three. I'm really excited. Thanks so much. I'm super excited to pick up where you left off. And I do have a couple quick fire questions for you before you go, if you don't mind. Okay, let's do it. Um, So first one, is there another marketer that you're following in the space that you recommend our listeners check out? Could be on LinkedIn, or maybe they have a great blog or newsletter. 
Oh man. Yeah. This is always a tough question. I feel like I, <laughs> I always caught people off guard when I asked it and I'm going <laughs> to be caught kind of the same. I think look, there are a couple of classics that I'll still stand by. So if anybody is new and listening to this podcast and you haven't heard it um, before, um, there are a couple of, of just classics that I feel like you just must follow and have to have in your LinkedIn feed. Um, Dave Gearhart, top of the list. Um, he's doing a lot of cool things now with other B2B startups and he's um, consulting strategically and really driving home this like strategic narrative um, initiative that I found so insightful from Jason and Mark. So if you're not following him, he is kind of everywhere. I think he has a book now. He's definitely doing multiple mm -hmm. podcasts. Um, he does a couple of live events a month. There's like tons and tons of great content to consume from him. Um, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram are all the places he's active. And then of course, Chris Walker, um, he is like fundamentally reorganizing the way that demand gen functions should operate versus how they have been operating in the past. Um, and that is a mentality that I fully support and stand by. So if you're ready for like disruptive um, demand gen insights, he's the guy. Yeah, the whole team at Refine Labs is great. I keep seeing these great posts on my feed. And every time I check who wrote it, it's someone new from his team. So yep. he's doing a great job, whatever he's doing there to hire them. It's great. <laughs> um, and what's an under the radar channel or tactic that your team is really loving right now? Could be anything that Ooh. you're testing. So interestingly enough, I've been in B2B SaaS my entire career, but have somehow almost always found myself marketing to marketers, which means that we're like mm -hmm. heavy on LinkedIn. Um, and heavy on like organic Twitter, if you're like in marketing Twitter. However, I am now in a space where I am marketing to um, early education providers. So center directors, um, teachers, admins, um, very different mindset. And these people love Facebook. So honestly, for the first time, this is like not a new thing, but for the first time in my career, I'm really having to explore the depths of Facebook and under better understand how to optimize those audiences and really spend efficient dollars there, um, which is not new news probably to the market, but is very new to me. So it's a, an exciting new challenge, but it's working really well for us. That's really fun. It's such a different audience. We yeah. had a similar experience at Top Hat because we sold to professors. So Obviously, they're not updating their LinkedIn every day because a lot of them have tenure. So they're not looking for a new job, but right. they are on Facebook connecting with friends and family. So similar. exactly. And like ECE Facebook groups is a beast and stuff. Too. Yeah, Facebook is a beast. Mm -hmm. And these ECE groups yeah. are like new to me as well. There right. are so many of them and they spend so much time there networking with their peers. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, understanding the community of ECE is really interesting to me. And those communities take place in different places than B2B marketers <laughs> spend time too. Um which is fun. It's just a, it's a it's fun a, challenge. Yeah, it's an entirely different challenge, but very exciting. Cool. And lastly, where can people go find you or get updates on how things are going at Bright Wheel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so although our audience spends time on Facebook, I still am not ready to commit to that. Um, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'll be pretty active there and we'll be sharing updates regularly on what we're doing over at Bright Wheel. Great. And I'll put that link in the notes as well so people can come find you easily. Thank you so much again, Kaylee. Yeah. It was such a nice time to catch up with you. Oh, this was so great. So great. I'm so excited to cheer you on from the sidelines. You're going to crush it. Season three is going to be great. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. I really hope you can stick around for season three and looking forward to learning more about World of Demand Gen with all of you. Thanks so much. <laughs>